The following podcast is part of the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network. Discover a new relationship and approach to life through the space between. Join spiritual teacher Brittany Mondito for a moment of silence, a weekend workshop May 24th to 26th at Omega Institute's beautiful campus in Rhinebeck, New York. Everything we're searching for lies behind what we're running from, Brittany says. Reconnect with your inner sense of safety, grounding, and centeredness. Learn more today at eomega.org thrive. This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Support for this show comes from the Utopia Foundation, committed to providing opportunities for people to express their good intentions in local and international communities. Learn how you can create positive change in the world at utopiafound.org. From Spirituality and Health Magazine, I'm Rabbi Rami, and this is Essential Conversations. My guest today is Alan Locus. He's an author and Zen teacher in the lineage of Thich Nhat Hanh. On Christmas Day 2012, Alan and his wife Susanna boarded a plane for Inlil Lake, a tourist destination in Myanmar. They never made it. The plane crashed, and after helping his wife escape through a burning exit door, Alan found himself caught inside the plane and engulfed by flames. After about a minute, he managed to free himself and escape. Both he and Susanna suffered serious injuries, and both of them have been on a long road toward recovery. Alan's new book, Through the Flames, tells their story and how Buddhism was key to his recovery. We want to talk to Alan about Buddhism and what he's learned from his harrowing experience and raise questions like, can Buddhism and meditation help you survive the traumas of your life? Alan Locus, welcome to Essential Conversations. Thank you so much. Happy to be with you. Sadly, you and I are talking just one day after the crash of the German Wings aircraft in France. 150 people died in that event, including two babies. You know, when you hear something like that, and it seems to me like it's all too frequent, you know, having gone through something like this, what's your gut response? I mean, do you find yourself immediately thrown back into your own experience, your own memory? No, not really. It's as horrific for me to hear about an accident like that as it is for anyone else, but it doesn't really bring up old memories. When that happens, when old memories are brought up, that's usually a sign of trauma that's locked in the body. And I've been fortunate enough to work with a wonderful trauma therapist uh, practicing what's called somatic experiencing. But those things that happen, such as happened yesterday, are just awful. And as we know, they're part of the human experience. It's as if our lives are a fabric and woven into that fabric are the joys and the delights and the beauty and the wonder and also the very difficult times. So I think we simply have to accept even an event like yesterday, which is so sad. Do you think that approach is uniquely Buddhist? I'll answer my own question and say no, because as you were talking, I was reminded of the book of Job in the 10th verse of the second chapter where Job says to his wife, we have to accept the good and the bad from God. If we took the word God out for Buddhist purposes, I mean, do you think this is a universal position of acceptance or does Buddhism really help us grasp it more powerfully? 
Well, I think you're absolutely right. I think it is universal. In my case, the practices of meditation coming from the Buddhist tradition are really what helped deepen these practices for me. But certainly as a young person, um, you know, I dealt with tragic situations. My, as an example, my mother died when I was very young. But now my experiences through study and through practice of meditation have deepened. But it would be the same, I believe, if my practice was more centered on other contemplative practices or prayer or getting outside and walking in the park and being connected with the natural world. How we get there, I don't think is as significant as making our efforts to be in touch with what's going on within our own mind and body so that when we hear about something like this, we can experience it. It doesn't feel good, but denying our feelings has been just shown to be unhealthy. So however we get there, through whatever tradition or no tradition, uh, a tradition that is unique just to us, I think it's an essential part of life, or life is just going to be too chaotic. You came to Buddhism when in your life? Um, 25 years ago, I would say. So when you were two, three, I don't know how old you are now. <laughs> well, let's put it this way. A long time ago, before I was involved in this kind of uh, path at all, I was in the theater as a professional singer, and I was in the original Broadway company of Oliver. So if you know how long ago that was, you'll know that I'm already out of my 20s and 30s and 40s and 50s. I'm going to stop there. <laughs> okay, so we'll keep Fine. the conversation short so we don't take up a little life you have left. Sure. Um, <laughs> you know, when, when people hear about these tragedies, yours, the one that just happened, a lot of people, they want a reason why these things happen. They want to know why you survived and others on your flight survived, where... No one survives on, on this one. They want to have, there has to be something or someone in control. And I know coming from the Buddhist perspective, and you talk about this in your book, Through the Flames, you're not coming, you, you don't come to that conclusion that there's someone in control. How do you handle that? Well, the Buddhist perspective speaks a lot about causes and conditions. But remember that that doesn't rule out that there might not be a higher power or a consciousness beyond our understanding that brings about causes and conditions. So the Buddhists remain very open, but they do focus on causes and conditions. So what that means is that I made a decision with my wife to visit this country. It made a lot of sense. You might remember President Obama and then Secretary of State Hillary Clinton traveled just before we did to the same place. They came home safely, very fortunately. So we make this trip. We plan the itinerary. We make the choice to get on a particular plane. We choose our seats on that plane. Now, here's something extraordinary. The two people sitting in the seats directly in front of us got out of the plane without a scratch. My wife and I were seriously injured. The woman sitting directly behind us was killed. The idea that there is a consciousness micromanaging all of this doesn't really fly well for me, but that there could be some higher power that brings about conditions to that, I would say. Maybe it's beyond my knowing. I know that when people say to me, haven't you ever said to yourself, why me? Why did this happen to me? 
And the truth is, I never thought that at all. Because if I did, the only answer to why me would be, why not me? Good, plenty of good things have happened in my life. Not so good things have happened. This is part of the experience of life. I, I'm not thinking to myself, oh, I did something wrong and I'm being punished, or someone doesn't like me. That doesn't enter into the picture for me. And I believe that a major reason that I've been able to heal well and heal quickly when doctors said I wouldn't even live through this is because I don't burden myself with blame and trying to get even and anything like that, just focused on my healing and trying to get back to the work that I do, which involves trying to help other people. Uh, that's what works well for me. Mm. So, you know, I, I read in your book, Through the Flames, you're, you're talking about, in the book, you're talking about exactly what you're exploring here. And I just want to read one sentence to you from the book when you're talking about the same kind of thing. And you're saying that all phenomena are caused by causes and conditions and things happen because things before them happened. Everything is sort of set in place and you're not dealing with any kind of higher power at the moment in the book. And then you say this, while I believe this to be true, sometimes it's not enough to fill the emotional emptiness, the immense void that's left within me when there simply are no answers. Now, I understand and agree that there are no answers. But I'm, I was interested in this emotional emptiness or the immense void. You know, if you're helping people with similar kinds of situations, do they express the same thing? How do you help them get through and how do you get through this emotional emptiness and immense void? I remember writing that when I learned that the woman sitting right behind me who was killed was our guide, the woman who had been with us for the entire week before that. We had become very close and really enjoyed her a great deal. And she took wonderful care of us. And it was a couple of months after the accident when my wife very carefully told me that Nui Lin had been killed in the plane. It was difficult to take that in. So even though I understood that the conditions of being just one seat behind where we were were different than where we were, it's still difficult. You know, even uh, I, I remember back at the time of 9-11 because I'm an ordained interfaith minister, I was allowed to go to the site and try to be uh, any help that I could. And I remember so many of my clergy friends struggling at that time because of what we saw, which was just horrific. And many of them told me that they were realizing that they had accepted so much of what they believed in simply on faith. They had accepted it because it was what they grew up with. And now they were beginning to examine what they were believing in. As an example, someone, for instance, managed to be in a particular place, let's say on the 84th floor of the tower, and that person managed to live and to escape. Discover a new relationship and approach to life through the space between. Join spiritual teacher Brittany Mondito for a moment of silence, a weekend workshop May 24th to 26th at Omega Institute's beautiful campus in Rhinebeck, New York. Everything we're searching for lies behind what we're running from, Brittany says. Reconnect with your inner sense of safety, grounding, and centeredness. Learn more today at eomega.org thrive. And so people would say, well, it just wasn't his time. He was being watched over. 
And, you know, all I would say was, that's great, and I'm so happy for that person, but what about the person right next to him? Let's say on the 83rd floor, was he not being watched over? That really made me think a lot at that time. It was very much of a shake-up experience. It actually led me to ultimately founding the Community Meditation Center here in New York. How's that? What was the connection? Well, I was uh, in my own exploration for some kind of answers and some kind of inner peace, having experienced this horrific event. Um, I realized that I was by no means the, the only one. There were many of us who were unsettled. And uh, it actually started with seven friends asking me if I would teach them to meditate because they were struggling at that time. And that seven grew to the point where now we serve well over a 100 people each week. Um, sometimes that's what it does, whether it's a, a plane crash or the death of a loved one or divorce or financial instability. We're all going through our own little crashes all the time. And it's kind of unfortunate that sometimes it is these difficulties that shake us that begin for us to open up the whole idea of exploring. What can I learn? What can I see here? I remember when I first entered seminary uh, to study as an interfaith minister, the first thing that was suggested to us is that we all go back and explore our birth religion. Because what we knew about our birth religion, for most of us, we had learned as children. And I had actually not rebelled against my birth religion, which actually happens to be the same as yours. I had just sort of drifted away. And I was fascinated when I went back and looked how much there was there that I really loved. Um, And I was so happy to have been directed that way to go back as an adult to look at my birth religion. And from that came more and more exploration leading me to where I am at this moment. So when you're dealing with these things, these tragedies, these crashes that you said happen to everybody, do you find that people resonate with that Buddhist approach of dependent origination or conditionality? Do you find that they find that is comforting? Well, I probably would say some do and some don't. I'll tell you an interesting thing about our meditation community in New York. We have many people who have been in a synagogue on Friday night or Saturday morning who then come to the meditation center on Sunday. And there are a couple of people who come in on Sunday morning very dressed up because they've just come from church. So the the teachings that were passed down to us from the Buddha are non-dogmatic. They're very, uh, if anything, they lean toward the scientific but they don't rule anything out. And some quite religious people, including a rabbi friend of mine, attend sessions on Sunday morning, learning about how to meditate, learning about what is going on within the mind and within the body. Meditation and mindfulness seem to be all the rage today. Everybody's speaking about mindfulness. I don't know if everybody's practicing it, but everybody's speaking about it. Because it's not in conflict with religious beliefs. It's more coming from a perspective of a science, exploring what's going on in the mind, looking at what our neuroscientists are are learning today in terms of neuroplasticity and, you know, really redefining what we understand as the function of the brain. Right. That's sort of a modern 
phenomenon is. I mean, and the Dalai Lama has had a lot to do with that conversation between Buddhist contemplatives and uh, neuroscience. But Buddhism itself comes with certain philosophical assumptions that may or may not be true that are untestable by science. But what you're talking about isn't the ism of Buddhism, but the practice of meditation of one type or another. And that's where you find, if I'm listening to you and then reading the book properly, it's in the practice of whether we're going to call it mindfulness meditation or it's through that practice, whatever theology you come to it with, it's through that practice that you can really cultivate the values that you celebrate in the book. And I just want to mention three topics that you mention in the book and see if we can explore them briefly in the time we have left. You talk about equanimity and wisdom and also death, but let's put that one aside for a second and talk about equanimity and wisdom and how your practice cultivates those. Well, the Buddhist practice is ultimately aiming toward the development of wisdom. And it's doing that through exploring the ways in which we cause ourselves various levels of suffering or stress and distress. And that's by looking at what goes on within the mind. And as we work with practices such as kindness, compassion, wisdom, which to me are universal, they're not owned by any religion or philosophical belief, which is why I think people, including religious people of various faiths, can be comfortable with these practices. Because ultimately, if you look at the teachings in the world's religions, they're teaching the same thing. You won't find a religion that is not speaking about love, love for our neighbor, that's not speaking about compassion and generosity. These are the core practices in Buddhism. And when practiced, they can lead to a sense of equanimity. Equanimity meaning a balance so that when the ups and downs or what we sometimes call the vicissitudes of life are present and suddenly appearing, we can be balanced. We can remain with a sense of equanimity. Again, in my case, not wondering about why did this happen to me, not looking for someone to get even with and to blame. That's just not of interest to me because that's not going to promote my healing. So instead, a sense of equanimity, the miraculous human body as an opportunity to heal. And I think that's also a level of wisdom. It's seeing things as they really are, not through the lens of my perceptions, but trying to see things just simply as they exist. Which I think is very powerful. Also, I would find that very comforting. But I know that, for example, when other tragedies hit, lots of people will blame it on, oh, it's God being angry over some social issue, you know, marriage equality, or God is angry about uh, someone or some group not fulfilling its religious obligations. So Buddhism, or at least your understanding of Buddhism here, offers us an alternative to that. We don't get caught up, and this is a question, we're not getting caught up in the trap of having to justify God and explain why God would allow this to happen, we can simply be present to what is happening and find our way through that. Is that fair? I think it's very fair, and I think it's insightful, and I think that's exactly a clear understanding of what the Buddhists are speaking about, and it makes a lot of sense to me. When we are caught up in blaming and getting even, you know, the reality is, Ours is the most litigious society that has ever existed. We can and do sue anyone, anytime for anything. And I just wonder 
what that does for our healing process when that is what's going on within us. I'm going to get even. I mean, I say that and I feel my throat tighten up. I feel my fists clench. That's not where I want to be. That plane crashed because of what uh, the government called pilot error. And that, you know, I suppose they have to fill out a form that says that. But I don't believe for a second that that pilot wanted to crash that plane. He didn't want to get killed. Yeah, it was the conditions, and the pilot was simply part of that condition. He made a mistake. I've yeah. made and, mistakes. And the mistake, too, was the result of all kinds of causes and conditions that preceded that mistake. It's a very rich tradition that you're exploring, and I encourage people to read the book, Through the Flames. I want to thank my guest today, Zen teacher and author Alan Locus. You can learn more about Alan's work at Community Meditation Center of New York, and their website is cmcnewyork.org. Alan, thank you very much for being with us. Thank you. My pleasure. Essential Conversations with Rabbi Rami is a project of Spirituality and Health magazine. Please visit our website, spiritualityhealth.com, to subscribe to the magazine and to find out all kinds of other events that the magazine is sponsoring. Essential Conversations is produced by Corinne Johnston, and Alma Tassi is our program coordinator. Essential Conversations with Rabbi Rami is brought to you this week by Utopia Foundation, providing the opportunity for people to create solutions that contribute toward a more equitable world. Please visit them at utopiafound.org. I'm Rabbi Rami. Thanks for listening. Hi, I'm Jane Asher, and I believe, and from what I've been shown, that when our loved ones die, they don't really leave. They just slip into the next room. On my podcast, I explore the bigger picture surrounding life on Earth and what follows when we do die. I speak with authors, friends, transition specialists, and other experts about every facet of death, dying, grief, hospice care, cultural traditions, and also our beliefs about that final journey and what we may end up facing. Please join me on the next room on the mindbodyspirit.fm podcast network or wherever you get your podcasts.